0: We're back with another episode of Tell Me More. Dr. Wiles and I have a conversation about our sacred beliefs and how we navigate belief in a pluralist society and what that has to do with our mission work around the world. We hope it is a formative and informative podcast for you. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More. Dr. Wiles and I are here. We're missing Katie today.
1: Uh, but it's Missions Month. It is. And she's not on maternity leave. So don't. that's just, that's not even a rumor, right? She's, no. It's just one of the babies is sick. Yes. That's where we are. I, I think, think
0: so. <laughs> in Katie's words, I think three, are, they're happy with the three that they have.
1: <laughs> As they should be. They're cuties.
0: They are. So Katie's not with us this morning, but it's Missions Month. Amen. I think we can talk about Flags missions.
1: everywhere, you know, uh, reminders of our commitment yeah. to the Great Commission everywhere. is pretty awesome.
0: So just in case we have some <clears throat> listeners who don't know the story of the flags, mm-hmm. where they came from, mm-hmm. how we got them, mm-hmm. could you just give us a refresher on how First Baptist Arlington came mm-hmm. to acquire the flags <laughs> of, of the world? Of every
1: nation, yeah. Well, we actually had—most of them are, are were handmade. Many of them were. And— uh it all began—actually, before I came, you know, there was a time when in Southern Baptist life, whenever you gave money to missions, we typically did that three times a year mm-hmm. in Southern Baptist churches all over America. In the, in the springtime,
0: around Eastern, Armstrong and
1: Annie Armstrong offering for what we called home missions for North America. And then in December, we did an offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Our patron for- saint. That's right. If we have one. That's right, for world missions. And then every state convention has their own person that they uh, have named their state offering around. And I grew up in Alabama, so ours was Kathleen Mallory. Mm -hmm. Um, But here it's Mary Hill Davis in Texas. And basically, it's either WMU leaders or uh, Women's Missionary Union leaders or famous missionaries from any particular state. Well, before I came, Dr. Wade led the church to approach it a little bit differently and collapse all of those into one offering and instead of just taking them up three times a year, so like it, it was the way most churches did it was you had a month. So for 3 months out of the year you had a special offering that where you gave to these offerings. Mm-hmm. A lot of churches still do that. Um, but our church chose to go to a once I mean, a, a year-round offering and just call it the World Mission Offering. So it's called the WMO, which you hear that all the time during Missions Month. <clears throat> and they decided since they weren't doing um, uh, the three annual emphases like they had done historically, they would just pick one month out of the year and say, okay, this is the month where we're just going to celebrate missions. We're going to focus on the World Mission Offering. And and, and really and truly in the, in the original um, expression of it, Most all of the attention for the World Mission Offering was just given during November. Um, When I arrived here, you could give to the World Mission Offering year-round. I mean, that was an option, but we didn't didn't really focus on it year-round. It was Mm -hmm. just this one-month emphasis. Well, once that began, the church decided to launch that annual emphasis every year with a parade of flags in the worship services on Sunday morning. So they accumulated, bought, made, many of them were made um, flags of the nations of the world. And um, um, and so when I first came here, for, for a number of years, gosh, probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, maybe, I can't remember how long we did it, the first Sunday Missions Month, we would, in our worship services, we would have a procession of the flags and would call out the name of every country. And... Typically, if we had people in our church who were, that was their home country, they would come in kind of native dress, you would say, and carry their own flag. So families, mm-hmm. you know, would carry their own flags, you know, from their country of origin, if you will. <clears throat> and it was, it was a very, it was kind of a pageant kind of feel, but it was also a way to acknowledge just the diversity of, of the world. And because our church works closely with Mission Arlington, obviously, since we started Mission Arlington... Um, we d- they decided let's make a flag for Mission Arlington because uh, that's one of our primary missional investments. And so we Mission Arlington actually has a flag and obviously, the state of Texas, mm-hmm. although some Texans would say it was a nation. I mean, I guess it was a nation at one time, but, I mean, it has its own <laughs> flag that can actually fly at the same level of the American flag, which is quite interesting. Um, so uh, there's usually a Texas flag in that processional. Well, then, I don't know, a few years ago we decided instead of doing that, what if we just— put them around um, all our campus, you know? So when you arrive on a Sunday morning during missions month, there won't necessarily be a parade of flags in the services, but there will be kind of a parade of flags on display Mm -hmm. all over um, our campus. And so that's how we do it now. And, um, and, you know, it's, it still has that pageantry feel to it to me, you know, when you walk on the campus now, um, you know, uh, next month we'll be decorating for Advent. So, during November and December, these are the most decorative moments um, for us in terms of our campus. You know, and um, we used to put some of the flags in the sanctuary as well, but we finally decided that uh, it was always one of the questions: well, who, which which flags deserve the sanctuary? You know, because it's mm. so prominent. So we finally said, you know, I tell you what, let's just let's just leave them out of the sanctuary on Sunday morning and distribute them across the campus. So they're everywhere. They're in the children's area. In fact, if you go to the children's building, the preschool children's building upstairs, um Ashley created this um children's passport, this kind of travel document for children, and our global centers are highlighted in that travel document and there is a um there's a QR code that gives you takes you to a a story from each one of our global centers and there there's information for our children and so we have global center um displays up in the on the second floor of the children's building so the children go to that display there's material there for them about that particular global center and there's interactive things for the children to do and then there's a story time for the children from that global center and so they they mark their passports you know that they kind of like they stamped that they've been to um you know uh, Sierra Leone or they've been to Spain or whatever. And then they get to listen to the stories from those particular global centers. So it's kind of an interactive model for the yeah, children. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, to learn about what we're doing, in our, particularly in our global work. And um, and so the, so the flags, on the one hand, are displayed. Um, it, it may feel somewhat randomly across the campus, but then there's some intentionality as to where various flags are. And then we decided... Um, A couple of years ago to try to be more informative, you know, because when you're, you know, there's get, there just a couple of challenges when you're engaged in missional work that's so diverse. Mm-hmm. And some of it is in areas where there are security risks. You can make it difficult to talk about it all on a Sunday morning where we're broadcast, you know, across the world. Probably. Right. Um, and believe it or not, there are people from secure areas who actually scour the internet looking for, you know, um, Christian work in their areas um, and not for good reasons. Yeah. So you if know. you've
0: ever wondered why we just don't always talk openly mm-hmm. in a worship service about
1: the work we do around the world, that's mm-hmm. why. That is exactly right. We're protecting our own workers, but also our, particularly our national partners mm-hmm. who sometimes are in harm's way, you know. Um but anyway, with with all of that, <clears throat> with all that said, as we as we try to communicate something that's as diverse as what we're doing, it can be really hard to do sometimes. And so this is this this decision a couple of years ago was, like, okay, what if in our Charlie Hamill Welcome Center, we just put up some displays that that really help everyone understand kind of the philosophy underneath the global centers, what we're doing there. Our workers that are living there, and so if you go through the Hamill Welcome Center during this month, it's a very informational opportunity for everyone to truly come to a better understanding of what we're doing, some of the philosophy under why we're doing it, and uh, and it, it's worth it's worth the effort of just spending a little time in there. And we we put it in the Hamill Welcome Center on purpose because that's kind of a nexus in some ways mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. You know we. Our our campus is. You're going to cross through know. there at some point <clears throat> That's in the right. day. You know, when before we had the preschool children's building, before you came, the Hamill Welcome Center and the and kind of the Commons area, <clears throat> the new newer Welcome Center, that that was really the only gathering space for our people, and everybody gathered there on a the Sunday morning at some point. Well, now that we have the preschool children's building, a good bit of our um, attendance has shifted to the opposite side of the campus. If that makes sense, so they come in through those doors and drop their children off, either preschoolers or children, make their way to, to Bible study, and then eventually to the sanctuary. Well, they will make it to the Hamill Welcome Center, but a vast majority of our church members no longer go in the main welcome center anymore. On Sunday morning. That used to kind of be Grand Central Station, as my mama would call it, and uh, but that's not true anymore. So we tried to find the place and places, so we put some of the displays in the children's building, like I said, explaining our global centers, but Trying to put it at, a, at at kind of the heart of our campus, if you will, which mm-hmm. is I think the Hamill Center, really. So people pass through it usually on a Sunday morning at some point. So if you're in our church and you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to do it. Yeah, show up
0: five minutes early on Sunday. Take a little extra time. Yeah,
1: bring your children if you have children. Bring your children. Let them see this is what we're doing. You know, and and we hope that it's also inspirational. You know, not just informational. That mm-hmm. you'll be inspired as a church member to see how invested you are as a member of this church in the Great Commission personally. And that, and that really is <clears throat> what happened to us a few years ago, Luke, back in 06 or so. We, the church has always been incredibly mission-minded and very missional, missionally invested and supportive. And, but we decided it was time to maybe take a further step missiologically to be more personally invested, if you will, and that's when we decided to become a sending church and start training and sending our own workers that we support to to strategic places across the world and um you know we're we're now um, i think o seven is when we sent Ashley she was our first worker, and so what is this sixteen years we're sixteen years in now, or something like that of the whole sending process and Numerous people have been sent through the years. That some of them only stayed two or three years. I say only. I mean,
0: that's a significant time investment.
1: Where were you three years ago? I mean, it's it's a lot of your life. Um, But uh, many, many of our church members who've been with us for a long time will will remember that we have sent a number of folks, probably around twenty or so. I can't remember to live cross culturally in a long term setting. But then eventually, our strategy began to coalesce. And we decided, okay, let's focus our attention, if we can, on two or three places around the world that match what we believe the Lord's calling us to do. People feel called to serve there, and then let's gather there, if you will, and build some deep relationships and invest um, tremendously. And that's kind of where we are today. So, um, and it's been a, it's been a great journey. So, to me, it's if you're a member of the church, <clears throat> you have been a if you've been here for a while, you know that journey. If you're new, just to let you know, we're we still support a lot of partners around the world. But but there's a personal investment for us in the Great Commission that's very deeply ingrained mm-hmm. into the life and, and the warp and woof of First Baptist Arlington. And this is the month where we actually try to display all of that, you know. So right. Um, and then in, on Sunday morning in the worship services, what we're trying to do is highlight some of it, but at the same time give biblical justification. And, and context for why we would do it in the first place.
0: Yes. Which is a good thing to do.
1: Yeah. So there you have it. <clears throat> there we have it.
0: Missions <laughs> Month. Do we need <laughs> to say
1: anything else? I think we should.
0: Um, <laughs> we haven't even talked about the sermon yet. Yeah. So we talked about sacred belief. So the theme sermon-wise this month is religion, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. And you brought up the fact that the world is an incredibly religious place, mm-hmm. even though sometimes I think we worry that it's getting more secular. Mm-hmm. Actually, the opposite is true. <laughs> the world is actually getting more religious. Mm-hmm. So, out of 8 billion people, you mentioned this on Sunday, out of 8 billion people in the world, 7.8 billion are a member of one religion or another. Mm-hmm. So, the majority of the world is religious. Mm-hmm.
1: Like even the unreached peoples in the world, when we talk about them, unreached people groups, the old, as you know, you're a missiologist. Um, and for y'all who don't know that, Luke studied missiology at Truett Seminary under Dr. Mike Stroop, who's one of our leading missiological voices in evangelical mm-hmm. Christianity, in my opinion. Um, and he's the missiologist for Restore Hope. So Mike Stroop's had a huge impact upon us. Um, but anyway, even those unreached people, sometimes people get confused by that. They say, wait a minute, how can they be that religious when there's so many unreached? Well, the majority of unreached people are religious people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it so. turns
0: out that just the kind of default setting for humanity is to have religious belief in mm-hmm. some way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it's
1: pretty staggering. And I know that here in the West— as we've been talking about the great de-churching, mm-hmm. right? so you, we've lost 40 million American adults out of our churches in the last 25 years. And some people question that statistic, but I would just tell you, there's just been, if you go and and and, and read some of the research that Ryan Burge, B-U-R-G-E, is doing. It,
0: he's one like, of the leading sociologists of religion in our country at this time.
1: Incredible mind. But it's data-driven research. It's not anecdotal. You know, um, he's kind of the newer— George Barna, if you will, of this generation, but he's different than Barna was. Barna kind of piloted all of that for those in my mm-hmm. generation. And then, but Ryan is a little bit different ilk, but but just really, really thoughtful and, and a deeply committed Christian. So he's... He's, <laughs> he's an
0: American Baptist pastor. Yeah, he's
1: doing this for a reason, you know, because he's burdened. But <clears throat> so it's not anecdotal it's it's true research. it's interviewing thousands of people, it's interviewing pastors, it's looking at denominational statistics that where you know we are documenting what's happening in our churches and so yeah, you look at America and the West, and it feels like, man, this is becoming increasingly increasingly secular and it, and to some degree that's true but but at the same time, it's becoming increasingly pluralistic, you know, just yes. like you. You have young children. You know, you take your daughter to school. Your wife's a school teacher. Well, if, if you don't know, for those of you that are listening, if you don't know how pluralistic Arlington is, maybe you ought to go like to a, a school event at one of our elementary yeah. schools.
0: I, uh, you know, was voluntold to be a classroom room parent this year, <laughs> and in planning first grade class parties, it is a constant conversation of. Not just avoiding allergies, but also working around religious dietary restrictions. That's just part of planning a class party. Now, is you have to, as a, am a white American-born Christian parent, I have to. I grew up in rural Missouri, so this would have been unfathomable as a child. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm now planning classroom parties around Muslim dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's not uncommon right. in Arlington. One in eight people in our city are Muslim. They just opened a private Muslim school in town. If you weren't aware of this, mm-hmm. just like we have private Christian schools, mm-hmm. there's not a private Muslim school. Uh, our, I live by a Buddhist temple. Um, mm-hmm. got Hindu friends. I mean, it's right. just we live and, in a religiously plural well, we do. setting.
1: Arlington, Texas. It, it just, it's just—and uh, and that pluralism is on the increase— it is. And so I, I get it when some people think, well, man, this is, this is more of a secular um, society. Well, to some degree, that's true. But, it's, but the pluralism to me is probably more profound, in my opinion, and presents us with opportunity. It does. It because these are religious people. so <laughs> you know? it's, uh, it's not like we have to ask someone to try to get to the point in their life where religion would be important to them the overwhelming majority of the world, religion is already important to them. Yeah, you know? it is. So we've got a common ground to build from. and then it, But then it grows into, so I decided Sunday morning to start off with, well, we've got to live sacred lives a- among our society. But those sacred lives actually begin with sacred beliefs. So I started off Sunday morning with addressing what do we really believe? And I think what you believe matters. And, um, and I think it's important to help our people in their journey of discovering what they really believe, because that really does dictate how you live. It does. And, um, and I, you know, I know that, like, I look at our high school kids and our college students, um, and I think parents of that age group right now, particularly with everything we're facing, have come to the realization that it's not enough for them just to have their faith, their beliefs. The parents' beliefs. I mean, it's important for them to know their parents' belief. And every every research um, um, project that I've read about teenagers tells me they're interested in what their parents believe. I you know sometimes parents wonder about that, but at the end of the day, teenagers tell us they do respect yeah. their parents. They do. Well, want the to know. leading
0: indicator for what <laughs> an adolescent will look like in adulthood is their parents.
1: Yeah, they. They're. It's important for them to have those conversations, but your faith as a parent is not enough for your teenager no you know it's just not and certainly not your college age student they've got to find their own way and so we are trying um here at our church to help children and youth and college students come to grips with what do you really believe because they're living in that pluralistic society it is their it's their everyday reality it's not a um it's not it's not a a classroom discussion it's an academic exercise in what if. It's no, I mean they're rubbing <laughs>
0: shoulders. It's much more raising a child in Arlington, Texas, probably bears more in common with raising a child in Los Angeles or New York mm-hmm. City than, than anyone, it does than, than any, any us, other town. I was in about Texas. to
1: say than we would believe, but that's just the truth, you know. And you're right. I mean, it's very pluralistic. So that's why I wanted to start with what do you believe, and I believe for me it doesn't surprise people who know me. I'm eventually going to get you to Jesus because that's really at the end of the Mm -hmm. day um, where I believe that the heart of all of this is, what do you believe about Jesus? That's what really matters. That was true in his day, you know, as he was talking to those folks um, in Jerusalem in John 12. Um, You know, it's funny, Luke, as much as I've studied the Bible and read the Bible and spend time in the scripture, you know, I was reading this morning, I'm I'm reading through Psalms and Ephesians right now, I'm on quiet time And, um, it's just interesting when you slow down and, and, and give God a chance to speak to you things that you, that, that just all of a sudden become so apparent. And you wonder, why did I miss this? That happened to me when I was studying for the sermon, um, I was in Canada, I'd already done a bunch of work and I kind of gave an outline to Jen. So I was doing the deeper research and I had just never really researched John 12 in Greek, just not not a passage that I'd spend a whole lot of time with, just honest confession, you know, because it's somewhat, it's kind of straightforward to me. Mm. And I get to that Jesus cried out. <clears throat> well, I'd, to be honest with you, I've never really even thought about that. And so I just thought, well, I'm gonna do a little Greek, you know? So um, I did a little Greek homework and that word cried out means to shriek. It's like a, the, the call of a raven or a crow. It's not a normal word for shouting. It's a It's an alarming kind of thing. And I thought, my goodness, I've never even noticed that it's somewhere in Jerusalem, somewhere during Holy Week, at some point, we're not sure where, because John doesn't tell us. You know, he just says Jesus went and hid himself, and then he reappears. He shrieks. I just I just never noticed that in my years of study, and it just caught me off guard, you know? Well, then all of a sudden, my antenna went up, because I'm like, well, what what is he shrieking about? I mean, I would—I think we as Christians, if Jesus shrieked about something— We'd want to know. <laughs> yes, what's he so concerned about? And it was about belief. You know, what do you believe? What do you believe about me? What do you believe about the one who sent me? Well, that just reminded me of how valuable belief is, and that eventually that's going to lead to a sacred life. So mm-hmm. I think that's where we—that's where I wanted to start missions month—is just around a conversation, our conversation around more deeply exploring our beliefs. Yeah, particularly about Jesus.
0: <clears throat> well, Jesus is what it is all about, and I like that you use the word particularly about Jesus, <laughs> yeah. because one of the things you talked about on Sunday morning is you use the phrase scandal of particularity, right? And I think that's something we think about sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But we don't always dive into the implications, Mm -hmm. so I think we tend to just stop short at this means that some people will go to heaven and some won't, Mm -hmm. and it's because they either believe in Jesus or they Mm -hmm. don't. But Mm -hmm. we don't think about the implications of what it means that Jesus is particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is singular, Mm -hmm. and other religions will talk about Jesus. They grapple with Jesus. Mm -hmm. In Islam, Jesus is a prophet, but Mm -hmm. not the ultimate prophet. That would be Muhammad Mm -hmm. Uh, in Hinduism. Uh, Jesus is perfectly acceptable as just another avatar of higher reality. Um, They're very fond of him. Yeah, (laughs) uh, they are. (laughs) So most of the world's religions have grappled with Jesus in one way or another. Mm -hmm. uh, But as Christians, we believe that Jesus is particular. He is singular. There's no one else like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that you talked about it on Sunday morning, and I was wondering if you could Kind of explain the implications mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. this scandal of particularity. <laughs> yeah, because it's not a fun thing to talk it's about not. in a pluralist society. It's that...
1: just not, and that's why I think that sometimes theologians call it the scandal. It's the stumbling block. It's the not scandal in the sense of something you know, as we use the word scandal, but this this idea of the scandalon in Greek, mm-hmm. the stumbling block. It's in the it's in the way. If you will. that that's what the Bible says it was for the Jews. It was it just. You know, the the whole message about Jesus being the Messiah was was hard for Jews who in the first century had certain expectations of the Messiah and he didn't fit the the mold for them. No. Um, and I was I was confronted with this a, a few weeks ago. I think I told you we went to um River Legacy Park, Cindy and I there. Cindy went with the with our granddaughters and um I I was playing golf that afternoon and she called me and, and just said, Hey, won't you come meet me out here, you know? The, the with the grandchildren. I said, okay. And she said, and really, I want you to come because there's a Muslim evangelistic entity here. Yeah,
0: and if you did not know, Muslims in our community are out yeah, evangel They are. I think we should use the word proselytizing. proselytizing yeah. Evangelism that's is a word unique right. to the gospel. Right. And it Thank means you. to bring good news. <laughs> that's right. And I want to reserve that word yeah. for Christian use. Yeah, that's a
1: great That's a great reminder. A good corrective. But they were proselytizing. So, when i got there well they had a tent kind of a little pop up tent and they had a truck that um that had I, I guess wrapped in in um you know decals i guess is what you would say and it it said something like god bless the usa islam it, it islam is for the us and uh, but then it had something like um god noah Abraham, I mean, it had like dot 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 Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so I I parked just to, across from that vehicle, and then I saw the little pop up tent, and there were some very happy, um, engaging, Muslim men, um, standing there with copies of the Quran, and uh, one of them was dressed as you would kind of assume a Muslim cleric would be dressed in any culture. So a little bit different than our dress, but the rest of them were dressed more in Western clothes and their wives were out at the playground where Cindy was with all of their children. But the men were kind of clustered around the tent if you will. and they were kind of wrapping up when I got there, but <clears throat> Cindy had engaged them. And so I visited with one person in particular, but Cindy said she talked to the person who, who presumably looked like a Imam, cleric, if you will.
0: Imam would be kind of the analog for priest, yeah. For if you are familiar
1: with that language. So, and and he asked Cindy about her faith, and Cindy said to him, "Well, I'm a follower of Isa." But when she said that, he, well, then he knew he was not talking to. He's just, not talking to an amateur. Yeah, some random person, <laughs> and uh, and so he immediately went into a much deeper. I'm sure it wasn't what he was doing with everyone. But but Cindy said he was very polite. He was smiling. He was very happy. But he brought up Jesus. You know, he he said, "Well, you know, we as Muslims, we we love Jesus or Isa." And Cindy said, "Well, I know that you do." She said, "However, do you believe that Isa is God in the flesh?" And he said, "Well, of course not." And then he went on to explain to Cindy that they're what. From his perspective, it's impossible for mm-hmm. God to be in the flesh because the flesh is evil, you know you, you can't you can't bring Allah as he would say into something that, in his opinion, would have been evil, and he said and secondly, there was no reason for him to do it, you know, but what why would he do it what 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 would be the rationale behind why God would feel inclined? To come to earth in human form. <clears throat> he said there's just no there's no need for it. Because his concept of sin and eternity is so different than ours. Um, and also and, and of course when Cindy began to discuss the love of God, well, that's just not
0: yeah. that's not in their realm. No, if you don't know a God. lot about Islam, Allah is you can't know Allah or have a relationship with Allah. You right. can know what Allah wants you to do through revelation, but you cannot have a relationship. Or no a lot.
1: Totally foreign. But the point I was about to make was, um, <clears throat> so in that particular conversation, the particularity of Jesus is scandalous to that Muslim cleric. He he, he mm-hmm. you're talking about a stumbling block. It it just was very and, and he was ready because he knew I mean he he's done his homework. He lives in America. <laughs> you know, so he he was very cautious, Cindy said in how he talked about Jesus. Very complimentary, very um, deferential, even to the point of Jesus being born of a virgin, which he said the Quran teaches. He said, absolutely, we believe Jesus was special. He was born of a virgin. So I <clears throat> thought it was interesting. He was very cautious about what he said, but when the conversation turned to the incarnation, he moved quickly to God, not Jesus. He, 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 he didn't want to talk about the miracle of the incarnation and what that might mean and the implications of it. So I think for us, <clears throat> this kind of method to the madness here. We're engaging in this conversation during missions month and we're going to hinge into incarnation, hinge in the incarnation during Advent to try to develop more fully the understanding of why God became flesh. And that does make this make, make Jesus particular because we're the only ones who make that claim and express that belief that he is actually God in the flesh. And so you know, and it's, it, has, it has implications across our life. I mean, <clears throat> it means that, first of all, we do believe that the Christian story is the only true best explanation of what's really happened in this world. Well, then, well, there you go. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of alarming. But I think we can, we can express that and live that, Luke, in a, in a gracious way. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Jesus was full of grace and truth. So right. that that kind of intersection within Jesus, where grace and truth both exist perfectly well that's that's our our goal, that's our aspiration. <clears throat> it's not just proclaiming the truth, it's learning how to do it graciously, and also, I would say to me the, the the incarnation is one of those beliefs that requires the Spirit of God to reveal to people. the spirit of God has to be. Uh, revelatory to a human mm-hmm. being for them to be prepared to hear this message. So it's not—it's not a something I can argue you into. It is, no. It's divinely revealed, you right. know. So, and I think sometimes
0: we have people who think that that's their job. You, you know, mm-hmm. where this is a mm-hmm. method of evangelism that they've been taught that <clears throat> it's ultimately up to them to win mm-hmm. someone over, and we set up these win-lose categories. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, God is at work. It's through the spirit. And if we think about first Peter three, fifteen through sixteen, you know, I think a lot of people who think of this argument language tend to hinge that on Peter saying, Always be prepared to give an answer. Right. But the rest of that verse is be prepared to give an answer that explains the hope, the hope that you have. That's in you, that's right. The answer you are responsible for as a follower of Jesus is where your hope comes from. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is you do that with gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have every apologetic argument figured out. You just have to know why you have hope. Mm -hmm. And then you just need to be able to explain that gently and respectfully, because ultimately this is God at work in the lives of people. God's Spirit has been at work before you showed up and will continue to work after you leave. Mm -hmm. And we've got to remember that it's That's ultimately right? not <clears throat> up to us. We have a responsibility. We have a role to play because God has given us, this is Second, second Corinthians 5, God has given us this message of reconciliation and has appointed us as his ambassadors here mm-hmm. to represent him. Mm-hmm. So you have a responsibility, but it's to share hope mm-hmm. gently and respectfully. Mm-hmm. Share the Jesus news in the Jesus way.
1: <laughs> what a great way to put it. <clears throat> and that's and that that really sums up the very heart of what we're doing missionally around the world i mean we we are taking this good news to these global centers, other places as well, obviously you know we're working on the border longstanding work in my church and and when we do express the gospel, it has a humanitarian um uh, facet it. You know, we when Jesus sent his followers out, he told them, heal the sick, you know, pray over them. So we we go with tools in our hands that we believe are helpful and beneficial to just human beings, right. regardless of who they are. But it's underscored by and undergirded by our philosophy and our belief and our theology and our worldview and everything else that has been built upon the scandal of particularity. I mean, it's it's there. We are there because... Of our belief in Jesus and what we believe He's asked us to do. So, you know, we—I've been to all of our global centers personally. I have visited them myself. Obviously, I know our workers. I have visited with our partners that we work with on the ground in each one of them, and um, and we all share that core conviction that we are there to communicate the truth about Jesus. But I would tell you that that that, that our global centers are very different. The same would be true of Mission Arlington. They're very different, but the message of Jesus connected to the hope we have in Jesus is what is guiding us in all of those global centers. Mm-hmm. That's what we're sharing with people. And the good news is when you look at our attendant work, some of the work, some of the res- the results that you see in the in Ashley's publication this month is beyond our global centers because we have... People in our church who have long standing work in places in the world that our church still supports that aren't necessarily mobilized through our global centers. Uh, you know, like we're, there are a couple of places we work in West Africa that are long standing commitments mm-hmm. that are not a part of our Sierra, Sierra Leone connection, but they're under that umbrella. We have a couple other places we work in Africa that aren't a part of the global center, but they're connected to our volunteer mission team. Our people in our church, long standing members here who are committed to some of those places. The borders the same way. It's not one of our global centers, but we have a huge commitment there, and a lot of people in our church are connected to it. Well, when you put all those together, and you look at the various places where, not counting Mission Arlington, well, we had around thirteen hundred people come to faith in Christ and be baptized as believers this past year. Well, so people are responding to this yeah. message of hope. Praise God, you know. And and you, as a church member, First Baptist Arlington, you're a part of that. You know that's the beauty of this celebration this month. When you support the World Mission Offering, you are tangibly touching every one of those decisions that I just mentioned, because they're connected to what we do around the world. And when you pray and when you support, when you give to the budget, because it's not just the World Mission Offering, it's the budget, it's the, actually the bread and butter support for what we do. I mean, just financially, you're you're connected to something that is affecting the eternity of literally thousands of people's lives. And so mm-hmm. it's... A, It's something I'm passionate about. I believe in, um, and I'm grateful for the maturing missiological perspective we have here at First Baptist Arlington. That we've grown in our commitment, our understanding, our awareness. We have connect. We have we have so many people that feel connected to these places around the world now. Um, Even this month, Sunday morning, I walked by one Sunday school class. Well, they were on a Zoom call with one of our global centers in Sunday school, you know, having a conversation with one of I our workers. That. And I was thinking, here I am in Arlington, Texas. And here is a group of of church members who've been praying for this global center and they're now having a Zoom call with her up on the screen and she's interacting. She can see them. They can see her. I mean it just it, it's um I mean technology has changed for changed a lot for us, but it's more than that. It's the it's that sense of connection to it all. And mm-hmm. it's all rooted in our shared sacred beliefs. So that was the starting point for us Sunday morning. So,
0: and I think that was a great place to start. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm excited to see what ha- what comes next. Me too.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: So, so we will be back next week, but continue
1: Ho- hopefully with Katie.
0: <laughs> hopefully with Katie. <laughs> but we're just going to keep journeying through missions month, and I'm looking forward to worship. We're going to continue to hear other languages. We've got kids reading mission passages of scripture mm-hmm. we associate with mission every single week mm-hmm. that's something to look forward to mm-hmm. I think the first one's probably the cutest Oh,
1: you ha- you, I would tell you she was awesome Sunday morning <laughs> So it um, was Luke's daughter just in case anybody's wondering in my opinion it's just
0: all downhill from here on that but <laughs> people would disagree with me um, <clears throat> but it's going to be a great month in church and if you haven't given to the world mission offering we encourage you to do so mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so I look forward to what's to come now.
1: Listening to the Tell Me More podcast today, you can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church.
0: Thanks for listening. Have a good day.